everybody. This is Shane Douglas Keene, and I'm here with Laurel Hightower, and you are listening to Ink Heist. Um, in just a few minutes, you'll hear us talking to horror author Glenn Rolfe about his new book and a whole slew of other topics. But uh, first, Laurel and I wanted to briefly uh, make a little statement on Ink Heist's behalf. Um, we feel very strongly about the things that are going on in the world right now and feel like it would be irresponsible to be completely quiet about it. So um, my input here, because Laurel's input is my input, but what I have to say in addition is um, if you have a voice and you have the power to use it and the courage to use it, please do use your voice. Um, this situation is far from over and it needs all the help it can get. So that is me. And here is Laurel Hightower. Thanks, Shane. And I, I fully agree. And I believe Riches is bought in on this statement as well. But, um, well, we can, I guess we didn't talk to him, did we? Maybe we want to cut that part out. Sorry. <laughs> well, we'll we'll make him buy into it after the fact. Yeah, well, <laughs> I <laughs> have you, no doubt. I have no doubt that he will. Um, but yeah, so we, we're not a particularly political show here at Ink Heist. We have our personal beliefs, uh, but mostly the podcast focuses on writing and reading horror and noir. But there are times that call for folks to stand together, and we believe that this is one of them. Um, Own Voices is a movement we have long felt strongly about, the support of stories told by marginalized authors. Reading each other's stories, uh, in particular in this community, is how we understand one another and how we share what it's like to be us, how we hopefully begin to erase the idea of other. Own voices is more important now than it has ever been. And in particular, it is time for white people to listen to those voices, to read them, to amplify, and to stand behind, beside, and in front of where necessary. Black Lives Matter. Things have to change, and when one of our brothers and sisters suffers injustice, we cannot stand aside. We're with you, and we wanted to make sure that you knew that. Um, in addition to which, uh, in in that spirit, I wanted to talk a little bit about Ink Heist is going to be doing a giveaway next week. Three copies of a book that is just, it's one that I love very much. Um, it's not its not horror, um, although the author is working on her first horror uh, piece and that is just going to be amazing. This is actually an author that I have known since high school. Her name is Bianca Spriggs, although I believe she is, she has been changing her professional um, moniker to Bianca X. Um, the book, all of her, all of her books are amazing. She is just an incredible artist. Um, the book that I am looking at right now is call is Call Her by Her Name, and it's just it's beautiful. It's visceral. It it has it's touched me more than just about anything that I've ever read. Um, and it's something that I just, I think more people should read. Um, and so we're going to give away three copies of this, uh, to continental us only, sorry about the shipping, but, uh, we'll, we'll talk more about how that can be done next week, but I did just want to let you know about this and, um, I, I don't want to read any of the poetry to you out of it because I feel like it, it's so Bianca's voice, um, you know, and I, I'd like you to read it that way, but, um, uh, I'll read you just a, one of the blurbs on the back. Um, in the future, these poems in all their estrogen-centered splendor will provide the blueprint for the experience that virtual reality will seek to replicate. But don't wait for science and technology to cap with, come catch up with what Bianca Spriggs already knows. Immerse yourself in these pages now. 
So this is just really excellent, and I'm really excited to share it with you guys. Um, and I would add to that, uh, if you want a sample of the kind of uh, great poetry that Laurel's talking about, look her, look her up on uh, the poetryfoundation.org. Uh, Bianca Lynn Spriggs, is that correct, Laurel? It is, yes. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, there's, o- there's there's only one of her poems there, sadly, but it is a great fucking poem, and you should check it out. You'll see what Laurel's talking about. Excellent. Okay, everybody. Um, one announcement, real quick. Uh, Rich Duncan said to give you his apologies. He will be back for our show on Thursday, um, but he did have extended hours because of people destroying the places where he works that he has to repair um so yeah sorry we won't have rich here we'll miss him but he will be back um so right now we're about to talk to a guy that i've known at least vicariously for so many years now i don't know um a lot of blood and guts under the bridge anyway um, and a lot of books on his part uh, and a lot of story to tell. And we're going to start working on picking that out of his brain right now. So, uh, Glenn Rolf, how are you doing, brother? Hey, I'm hanging in there, man. How are you? Good, good, good. Um, I guess, do you mind if I start out the questioning, Laurel? No, go right ahead. I guess the um, first thing that would always come to my mind when talking to you or anybody from the old band is uh uh don doria um and that uh that journey um i don't know if this is correct but i think he was the first guy to publish your work um i could be wrong i would say well james ward kirk who does his own thing um he agreed to put out my first book which was the haunted halls but that didn't last very long and I would I would probably consider Don still the first, you yeah. know, professional that I worked with. You know, he had a backing and there was an actual felt like a real publishing company. So, and and what a guy to actually be the guy you consider your first because he's a legend, you know, with his yep. leisure connections and then Sam Hain horror and I don't know how many he published of yours under that imprint and now Flame Tree Press. Absolutely. Uh, and he's got the old band back together. He's got you back, Jan's back, Hunter Shea, I'm missing a bunch. Brian Moreland, yeah. Catherine Cavendish. Uh, Ramsey Campbell. Everson. Yeah. Yep. Yep. That feels yep. good. Yep. So the old gang's back together, and that's awesome to see because it was a good gang. Um, and is again. Anyway, um, I would uh, I'll pass this off to Laurel here in just a second, but uh, why don't you give us a better rundown than me on your background, who you are, what you do, how you roll? Yeah. yeah. Uh, so I've been I started reading horror probably when I was like 17. I was always into rock and roll and stuff, so screwed off a lot. Didn't you know? Dropped out of school. Buddy of mine that ended up being one of my bass players, he had a bunch of books and he was like, I think you'd like this Stephen King book. And I was like, I mean, I'd obviously heard of Stephen King, seen plenty of the movies, but I was like, I don't read. Get that away from me. He's like, no, dude, trust me. Take this and just read it. Take your time. I think you're going to like it. And, you know, I was still pretty busy doing all kinds of nonsense at that time. But 
when I did get a chance to sit down and read it, I just fell in love with it and thought it was way more amazing than movies. So I, I just still didn't dive into books just then either. I mean, I just kept, I would pick up a book here and there, but um, once I got rolling, I played in bands for, I don't know, 10, 12, 15 years. And once that stopped, it wasn't until that stopped that I, I needed something else to do. I was a you know dad of I had two girls with my wife at that time. Uh, a job I had had just went under. So I was unemployed for the first time in a while. And my band had just broken up. And I was like, man, I need something creative. I need an outlet to feel like I'm doing, even though I was watching my girls during the day, I needed something some way for me to get all the craziness in me out. And uh, I'd always, at that time, I'd read a lot. I'd been reading leisure books like crazy. And they had also gone down around this time, too. It was like 2010. So it was around the collapse of leisure and all that. And uh, I had this story that I had started scribbling in a notebook. And I decided I would type it up onto a computer because I'd scribbled it in one of my notebooks. I usually wrote my lyrics and stuff in. And I thought it sounded pretty good when I stumbled across it. So I started typing it up and that ended up being the beginning of blood and rain. And I ended up sharing it with some friends on Facebook and they said, well, what happens next? Like I only had like a chapter or two and they kept egging me on what happens next, what happens next. And uh, because of these Facebook friends of mine, Michelle and uh, now I'm blanking now that I'm on the air, but um her and her mother actually and they got me moving along with that story and made me finish because they wanted to know what happens next and i thought well i well now i want it i have to know what happens next so i wrote that first book and when i finished it you know like i said i've been reading the leisure books like crazy right before that and i knew i saw don's name in the front of all those books and i knew he was the acquisition editor but at the time, I had just written my first. This was the first thing I'd ever written from start to finish. So I knew it wasn't ready. But Sam, then Sam Haynes started up like shortly around after this time, too. And I was like, oh, this would be the best time to jump in and get a chance with this guy. He's going to be looking for people for this new line of books that's starting. But my book still wasn't ready. Long story short, even though that wasn't real short, I, I uh, sent him a copy. He rejected it the first time, told me to send him whatever I do next, which was uh, my novella, Abrams Bridge, which was probably about a year later. I sent him that, and he loved it, signed that, signed my next novella. Then I told him, hey, listen, I've been working on that werewolf story that I sent you, uh, you know, like a year and a half ago. Would you be willing to look at it again? I fixed it up a lot. And he said, yeah, yeah, sure, send it over. I'll look at it again. And at the time, I hadn't touched it. It was still the same you know, version that he had declined earlier. <laughs> so me and Erin, um, my editor, she stayed, you know, I was sending her chapters and sending my buddy Ben, uh, who's one of my best friends, sending him chapters and talking to them about what they thought would be cool, if this was cool. And I ended up rearranging a bunch of stuff and rewriting a whole chunk of the book, uh, like six weeks, I think I spent on it really rearranged a lot of stuff took out one whole character replaced him with two new ones it was nuts it was like i'd staying up until like three o'clock in the morning getting up to go to work at seven just because i said oh my god don thinks i've got this now i don't want to wait too long because he might be suspicious i've got to get this into him and i got it into him and you know a few weeks you know five six weeks later he sent me an acceptance so 
that was my in, my intro to Dawn that first year. And I think we worked together. We did Things We Fear was another novella I did. Then I got The Haunted Halls back from James Ward Kirk. I had to pay him a little bit of money, got my rights back, because Dawn said he'd look at it if, if he could get a hold of it. And I got the rights back, sent it to Dawn. He signed that. That was the last thing he signed to mine. We find out, like, I think within the next month or two, that he was going to be gone from Sam Hain. So that book never made it out with them, but it's been released and re-released a few times since then. And it's actually going to be re-released yet again next year. So not from Flame Tree, but I can't talk about who's putting it out yet. That's so a lot that's of mileage that. out of that. <laughs> I know. Sorry. It's, uh, I tend to ramble <laughs> once I get moving. So. Oh, no, I just I meant that one book being released that many times. That's that's a lot of mileage. That's good. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I've done the same thing. The same thing with uh, has happened with Blood and Rain, obviously, with it being originally with Don, and then um, then I self-published it after Sam after I got the rights back from Sam Hain when they went down, and then um, a friend of mine, David Bernstein, another excellent author, and I'm hoping he ends up on Flame Tree again uh, or with Don again soon. I have no idea if that's going to happen. I'm just saying, uh, David was uh, had a contact with cemetery dance so i messaged the he gave me an email i messaged them and asked them if they'd be interested in putting out the ebook copy a new ebook copy of blood and rain and they said absolutely because richard had actually read it um when it came out with sam hayne and he really liked it so we put that out just the electronic version with them and then poltergeist press uh said they put out the paperback and hardcover so it's a book that's out there with two separate publishers at the same time in you know each in their own uh editions or whatever but that book is yeah and then the haunted house is a little bit crazier than that one but those two books i i'm all about this there's a there's a drummer named bobby borg who runs he's got like this whole musician's um guide to business and stuff i don't i don't know what it's called exactly i don't remember but um, he, I remember reading something from it uh, where he had mentioned for bands, you know, if you've written this really good song, you want to get the most mileage out of that one song. You want to sell it as many times as you can. And I've kind of like, why not do that with these books? You know, I'm still writing as much as I can, but why not? If, if it's if it's available and it's an option for me, why not keep moving these things once the contract's up sell it to somebody new give it new new life a new audience because just you know different people follow different publishers or you know, certain publishers can get it to different places so that's kind of uh why i never just kind of sat on any of these things i've always kind of just kept moving with them and always moving the books if i could i think that's brilliant i mean that's because yeah you know i mean that's you you've got a pretty long career at this point so, I mean, someone could hop in as a fan at any time and then being able to still have access to your back catalog, you know, through various publishers. I think that's great. And that the the switching through different publishers was something like when Sam Hain was going down, Brian Keene made a big spiel about you should never just be with one publisher. You should get it, get your works into many as many different houses as you can uh, just because you never know what's going to happen. And that's kind of like I took that. And I think I was pissed at Brian at first. And I love Brian. And I've talked to Brian about all kinds of things. But I was kind of irritated because I was very loyal to Sam Hain. And I knew where he was coming from. He's very loyal to Don and authors, especially. Um, 
just the way things ha- went down, everything happened so fast. Everyone had an opinion so quick, and not all of the uh, details were out there yet. I remember, I remember that little thing. But I did take that from his his uh, big piece on the Sam Hain going down. Just I took that like make sure I get work with many different people because for a minute when Sam Hain went down, I remember I was talking to somebody recently about this. Uh, all my work up to that date, up to that point was all with him and i didn't know if any other editor out there was going to like my stuff you know i mean i was very very much i knew i'd found a guy that liked my stuff and that's pretty special when you can find someone that gets what you do um so i i was pretty scared when sam hayne went down i didn't know if i was going to put out any more books or not at that when it first happened i'm sure like some of the other guys and girls too yeah i talked to several of you guys who expressed the same sorts of fears um, fortunately for every single one I talked to, they were they were misplaced fears because you've all been picked up by other publishers since then. Um, and, you know, as far as Brian, Brian's a smart guy, you know, but like most people with the name Keen, we're, most of us are smart. We have good advice, but we piss people off. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good thing, though, right? I think that's a great thing. <laughs> Well, you know, this is actually this is really timely advice too. I think, uh, Glenn, because with you know with some of the other things that have been happening with some of the presses here, like I know it's got to have been heartbreaking for folks who had stuff coming out that's maybe not now, or you know when presses go down or when these you know these things happen. Like it's it is good to hear from someone like, hey, it seems like the end, but you recover. You know, you get some more advice, you try changing things up, and and you know it goes on, keep going. I right. think that's good for people to hear. And this is a weird time, too. I mean, uh, of just having you, you mentioned maybe a book gets shelved a little longer because of this. It's really strange. This is a totally different experience. This release, because my book, like a few other people I know, like Brian Moreland, his book dropped on the same day as mine. And we're putting out books in the middle of this. And I was scared. You know, nobody knows what they're going to get for money. No one knows if they have a job or not. I mean, some of this is starting to be figured out now. Um, but at first I thought, oh, my God, no one's going to. Why, why would somebody spend what little money they've got on my book right now? This is a terrible time to be putting out a book. But everything was set. It went off. And to tell you the truth, from what I've seen, I don't have the numbers, but it seems like it's been a pretty successful thing. I think, you know, the government giving everyone the extra money helped out a lot. Some people are are putting that money back into the arts community, which we are totally grateful for. Uh, So anyone that's, I know I've, I've put some of mine back in. I've been buying books just to help, you know, my buds out too. Yeah, that's what, I mean, that's pretty much all any of us can do right now. Um, Cause yeah, you're right. I mean, it's crazy. It It really is. Yeah. Well, and let's let's talk about your book. Um, that's because, yeah, so I've got this. Le- and this is one of the things I just love about Flame Tree. These, you know, the covers are always really great. They're very different. Um, but this, you know, the whole setup where you've got this lovely row of red spined uh, Flame Tree press mm-hmm. books on your shelf. It's just it, it's cool. <laughs> it's also probably the most like arranged thing in my house. So I just look <laughs> at that shelf and <laughs> feel like something is is where it's supposed to be. That's exactly the <laughs> exactly the only thing that looks arranged in my house. <laughs> right. yeah, that's so funny. Me, me and my uh, me and my son, um, uh, we were just messing with one of my bookshelves uh, a few weeks ago, and I I have this 
uh, I had like two rows of leisure books on this one particular shelf and they all have, you know, the LB at the top of the spine. Um, so he was noticing that he's like, Oh, well, these ones all have this, this, but I don't remember what he said it was. Cause it does look a little funny, but I was like, that's LB. And I think he started calling it BL or something, but he started running around in my, all my other bookshelves and finding those books. So now we've got like this four and a half, five rows of leisure book paperbacks uh, that we've put together during this. That was a fun little project with him. And it's funny that it's leisure books and we're just talking about those spines. And to me, all those leisure books look brilliant next to, next to each other like that too. Yeah. I had not, I didn't have any of the, I don't think I had the leisure books, so I didn't know, but that's, I mean, I, I think that's a great setup, but it makes you want to collect them all. You know, they're awesome. There are a lot of awesome authors, awesome books. I have a lot of leisure books. I I actively watch for those ones and some of the old signet horror novels and things like that. Yeah. It's Grady Hendrix's fault, mostly. (laughs) (laughs) With the paperbacks from hell. Yep. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, Well, yes, so this, so the, this until summer comes around has already had its release date. Is that right? It was rolled yes, recently. Yes, it came out I think last Thursday, the twenty first. Whatever that was. Okay, congratulations. First Thank of all, you. Uh, that's you know it's always cool to have a have a new book come out. And this is so this is your vampire book, and it's your your summer love story. I just I think this is such a cool uh, combo. Um, so why don't you tell us some about? There's, I've got some specific questions. I just want to make sure we don't do any spoilers, but I'd love to hear about, you know, how you started with this, where the idea came from on this. And hey, sure, yeah. Um, so this is another story. Um, after I, if you, we rewind way back to that Stephen King book, the next thing I started reading were uh, the Vampire Chronicles. Um, I think I read the first three or four of those. This is probably 99, 2000, something like that. So it's quite a while ago. Um, and I played in punk bands. I remember I'd written this short story about a guy, a vampire named Vincent Dragston, that was going to start his own punk rock band. They had a song called, and I'd written some song titles in this. this it wasn't like I'd never completed a short story, but I, I would start these little ideas. And I gave this guy a title called I Want to Suck Your Blood was the name of one of the songs, which I went on later on. It was like one of the songs that I ended up actually writing <laughs> um, in my you, band. Didn't you uh, did you do that on Instagram fairly recently? Yeah. Yeah, I did. I did the, yeah, uh, that was slow, awesome. I did the, the ballad version on Instagram. Obviously. I was going to ask that whether that was related to this story because, you know, it's timely. Yeah, it kind of was. It's kind of like the very beginning of the idea was like the seed was back in that story. And then I had a friend growing up when I was like five, four, five, six, I lived in a trailer park and there was this family that lived across from us. And the girl over there that was my best friend, her name was November. So that's where the story, the name comes from in this story. I always loved that name. And in my mind, she was always like this, this awesome girl, amazing girl in my brain. You know, Uh, I have nothing, but I don't have very many memories of her, but I remember just like, she was like my favorite person when I was little, little, and uh, um, I think eventually I wrote another song and I used her name in that song. There's another song about a vampire love thing going on. So this has kind of all been like in my in, the, in my brain kind of working around all these years. And I, when I started writing, I started off with the werewolf book. I had the hotel, crazy horror hotel story. I always knew I wanted to write a vampire story at some point. And then 
I'd written the, the last Sam Hain novel I wrote was Things We Fear, and I put it in Old Orchard Beach, um, Maine, which is where this one takes place. And I remember a reviewer read the book, and they had lived in Old Orchard, and they said one of the shame the shames for them of, of the novella was that I didn't really bring the that great city to life. And when I read that review, I just I said, I've done it. I've done my favorite city in Maine and a complete injustice here. I must I must write this wrong. And that's when I decided that was going to be the story is I was going to write another story, set it in Old Orchard Beach. I started that very night after reading that review. I sat down and I started scribbling these notes, which ended up being the first well, probably the second and third chapter of, of what of what I have in the book now. Um, I knew I wanted to be this boy meets this vampire girl because that's what I've been writing about in all these songs. I wanted to actually turn this into a story. I wanted to bring Old Orchard Beach to life. And I had really fond memories of Old Orchard Beach um, through my brother. Actually, my brother's a little older than I am. Uh, we grew up in the 80s, but he was three or four years older than me. So him and my cousin had all these great stories about Old Orchard Beach, and I was always envious of them as a kid. But I remembered those things, and it all sounded – everything about – Old Orchard Beach felt magical to me from afar or vicariously through them. And when I got old enough and started going down there myself, I just I knew it was it was just awesome. So those are the elements that went into the creation of the getting me into this story. And from there, I had those first few chapters and I knew I wanted to work with Don again. I was just waiting for the right project. I actually sent him the window which is my previous novel. Um, he actually didn't want to use that one. He said it didn't feel like me is what his one, one, of, one of his reasons for not taking it. But he said, you know, obviously the same thing. Send me whatever you do next still. And I, I just didn't have time to write this book and then send it to him. I had too many projects I was still working on. Um, so I reached out to Tim Wagner and asked him, because I knew that he sold Don's stories based on outlines and obviously don has worked with him before and knows that he can deliver on those outlines so i said well he's worked with me but i've never done it this way but i would like to see if i can so tim gave me some real good pointers and i got a book on outlining and i read that and then i kind of uh, approached it from what tim had told me and i was shocked that i came up with this you know 10 page outline for this story i pretty much wrote all the important parts of the story in uh, an afternoon. And then I cleaned it up the next day, sent it to Don with the sample chapters, and that's Don agreed to take it. He said, all right, when can you have the finished manuscript to me? Which I'd never done that before. This was the first time I'd ever done that. So um, I signed the contract and then started. Now, now that I've been paid for this book, I have to make this my priority. And I sat down with those first three chapters and started writing. And was, I was shocked to find out how much easier it was to write a story with an outline. I thought, <laughs> I could all do this, I, but I had to deliver. You know, I set myself up. I, Don gave me the chance and I was very happy with how it turned out. The whole process amazed me. <laughs> I was amazed that it worked. And, and I love this book and I love how it came out. And I don't think it would have been what it is if I hadn't sat down and done it the way that I did it. Usually I just write as I go, you know, seat of my pants, but this one, I, I love everything about it. So. 
And I think that I really know, comes. What was, what was the original question? I didn't <laughs> well, it was. Fuck, I don't know. I asked you to tell me about it. You did fabulous. Yeah. That's because I was wanting to know. Because, you know, when you say that you love this, not, uh, that's what I wondered is, is, was it something that, you know, had had been kind of rolling around in your brain for a long time. And it does sound like at least like the, like you said, the seeds of it had been. And I yes. feel like that love for it just really comes through. And that's, so this is, this is the first one of your books that I've read. So, you know, I wasn't sure uh, as far as, you know, like what style and all that kind of stuff, but it's really just, especially, you know, the, the love for the old orchard beach. I thought that came across really great. I'm sure you've heard um, some lost boys, uh, Oh, yeah. Uh, comparisons. Yeah. I mean, it's not One of my favorite movies. <laughs> and that's it's great because it's not at all like, you know, derivative. It's not it's not even close to the same story, but it's that same like kind of and so, someone who has always lived in landlocked, you know, completely uncool cities. Um, the you know, the 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 nightlife of it, the nightlife of these beach towns and the year round living there. I think that just really came through. Good. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've been down there tons of times all you know during the day during the night i've seen like, like all the guys on the bikes cruising up and down like you hear the blah 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 blah, blah all the little bikes <laughs> and, and trucks and everything and i it was pretty easy for me to because i take all of that in every time i'm down there i'm i'm glad it came out came out that way that's i mean i really well, like I said, when I finished that novella, Things We Fear, and I didn't really – I touched – I, like, sprinkled a little bit. It was a novella, so it was shorter, but I really was upset that I did miss that. That was something – you know, but you have regrets with everything. You know, there's something – there's always something you could have done better, and I'm just – this that led to this. So I'm grateful for even that – even screwing that up in my own mind and that reviewer's mind. I'm glad that I did that because it led to this book and just – love everything about there's a lot of personal stuff in this book so it it has that feel to it and (laughs) i noticed on your acknowledgments too like you i think you you were thinking about that review because you've got a lot okay i know that uh was it it didn't come out until (laughs) until september so you covered all your bases i feel like (laughs) i try and i really i really do pay i try to pay attention to those details i'm i'm crazy like that i remember reading there's a fellow author of mine who wrote a book and put an, an Alice Cooper song in it at a certain spot. And I'm like, you know, I was reading it and I'm so crazy because my mind is mostly filled up with eighties hard rock stuff. And I'm like, that song wasn't out yet then. I don't think that album was out yet then, but it came out in the same area. But I remember writing, I'm so, I'm such a crazy man about these, especially eighties hair metal and hard rock stuff. I, I wrote to the author cause I'm friends with him and I'm like, Hey, I just let you know this, this and this. And he probably just got annoyed with me, but I said, you know, just let me know in case you want. To, I don't. You can probably go back and change it. And he's like, Nah, I think I'm gonna leave it as is. I don't really, you know, that I think it works just fine. I was like, Okay, I, okay. That's interesting because, like, if you're the wrong Alice Cooper fan, like me, for instance, would fucking ream you for that. Because that's my. I'm I'm with Alice <laughs> Cooper like you are with Guns and Roses. Oh, absolutely. No. I love Alan. I've loved Alice Cooper <laughs> since just right after I got into Guns and Roses. So. No, I wouldn't really ream him for it, but it would bother the hell out of me if I did that. <laughs> and I, yeah, and I knew, and I knew with with it, you know, especially with it just being as hugely popular as it is, it's going to be somebody's going to point it out if I don't say, yeah, you know, I I know, I just wanted it to be in this story, so I pushed it in there because I can't. <laughs> I moved it up by like a couple of months, so the release date. 
artistic well, and you, license. Yeah, yeah, and you addressed it. So no one's going to say, oh, he didn't even know. It's like, no, he knew. <laughs> he knew. Yeah. Well, that's, yeah, that's perfect. That's hilarious. Um, at Rich, had, Rich had asked this question, too, and I wanted to know as well. Without, you know, really giving any spoilers, I think we can... Uh, so the so your vampire mythos is different, you know, from what you consider the standard. So we wanted to ask about how you came up with that. Well, the number one thing is uh, this kid falls in love with this girl who turns out to be something she's not. And I'm like, well... This is Old Orchard Beach. I'm setting it in the middle of summer. They're going to have to be out in the daytime. So right there, I said, <laughs> I'm going to have to change it a little bit here, guys. So uh, I've always been like that, though, with, if, with any kind of uh, monsters that are out there, like werewolves. Even my werewolves, I changed up a little bit. But, but I, I don't I don't want to – I don't set out to piss anyone off. I know there's people that live and die by the way these things – you know, the rules of, of these each monster, you know. But – I think as a writer, that can be stifling, and we want to be able to play with it and manipulate it and do what we want with it, as long as we're not being, you know, I don't know, you know, being a jerk about things. I think, obviously, I needed to make some changes to make it work the way I wanted it to. I'm, and I'm not, I'm not a diehard. I love all the diehard uh, vampire stuff, but I tried to make it make sense with the way. It goes in my book, and I didn't really dig too deep into it either. I mean, I've heard that criticism a little bit that they some people would have liked to have known more, and even me afterwards, I say, oh, sure, yeah, I'd like to know more too. But that to me opens up a book, uh, an avenue for if I want to write a, a related novel, maybe not a sequel, but something related where I could, you know, open up the door and go into the vampire world and see what my vampire world will look like. Um, but it's as a writer, I, I. I feel like I can, if I can make it work, you know what I mean? That's the key thing is just if it works, you know, if you, if you do something and it just doesn't work for the reader's going to call you on it, you know, they're not stupid. They're going to, they say, but you did this here and this doesn't make sense with this. As long as you can make it make sense in your story, I think you're good. And I think I encourage all writers to do that with, with anything, you know, like if I ever wrote a zombie novel, it would be, it'd be a lot different than, the other zombie novels that are out there just because they'd be me and I can't stand the way that normal zombies are. So that's just not my thing. But if I, I, I could challenge myself and do a monster I've never done before, it'd be that or like the, uh, or the Wendigo. I'd like to do, I had someone ask me to do one of those. Oh, that and would think, be good. I said I'd love to. I mean, that's, that's something I'm fascinated with too. Yeah. But, that, that's such a cool, um, that's a cool legend. I think that would be, I think that'd be interesting. Um, yeah. So I'm curious, so what, what drives you crazy about standard zombies? What would you do? Or is that revealing? Jeez, I don't know. It's just, you know, I mean, Keen definitely switched it up and made it more interesting. And I, I loved The Rising. That was like, I picked that up and I'm like, I don't know about this zombies, but the cover was really cool. It was a leisure book. He'd won like the Bram Stoker Award little like thing was on there back when I really loved it. You know, if someone had written Bram, won the winner of the Bram Stoker Award, I picked it up if it was on the bookshelf. This is like 90s. In the, uh, no, not 90s, 2000s. In the early to late 2000s altogether. If I saw that on a bookshelf at like Books a Million or um, any of the Barnes and Noble, any place like that, I would. And it wasn't an author I'd ever heard of. I thought I have to check this out. That was, so that's what I did with Keen's book. And I think he did it. He did it great just because. 
his crazy mythos that he came up with, like them being from another dimension and shit and taking over uh, dead people. That was brilliant. You know, it'd have to be something like that because the standard, the standard, like these, uh, they got sick or I don't know what the hell it is. Chemical, the government did something. I don't know. That standard area for me is, is it's just boring to me. I don't, I, but that's just me. You know, I know plenty of people that love that stuff. So I don't want, piss off any of those guys but i mean that doesn't do it for me i don't know why it's like mm-hmm. not an interesting creature like they don't think like and that's where Keens were different because they could think uh, I, I think brian Keens done it right and i know other people have done similar things to him since then probably but if i did it i i just have a feeling mine i've never written comedy before but i have a feeling that i would bring comedy into my zombie world somehow because the zombie movies I love the most, like Zombieland and Warm Bodies, which I know is a book too, but uh, I think that would end up happening if I ever did one. I have never written comedy either, so I don't know if I would ever, ever dare to go down that road. But I think some I'd go that. I'd end up that direction. It'd be a horror comedy, which I hate. I usually hate horror comedy books, but love horror comedy movies. Is that weird? No, not at all. I can see that. And is that so? Is that like a is that a whole genre zombies? Do we have to well, name it I mean, something like that? I don't I don't necessarily hate all of them, but I mean, if I don't know going into it, like if you read a Jeff Strand book, you know, there's going to be some silly stuff in there because it's Jeff Strand uh, that I don't I don't mind. It's like when I pick up a book from this horror author, I don't know. And then I think it's going to be the serious story starts off kind of serious and gets really goofy. That just irritates me. And I'm like, it's like, I don't know, false advertisement or something. You know, I'm picking up a horror book and it's. This guy's trying to be a comedian in the middle of it. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> Maybe I'm a jerk. I don't know. Maybe no. I don't. <laughs> no, I'm just wondering how you're going to set this up now, though, so that you're, you know, that but you make it clear that it's zombies, comedy zombies. I don't know. This uh, is quite a challenge for yourself. I know. I know. I don't know if I ever did a, you know, stand up. Maybe I will. I don't know. Who knows? <laughs> I'll figure out a way if I do it. <laughs> I have no doubt. <laughs> well so let's see uh, let's try it because I had asked Rich too because he it was kind of last minute that he was not able to make it if he had any questions that he oh um, he wanted to know too because he, he did notice that there was a, a character named Richie Duncan and he didn't know if that was possibly snagged from his name or not oh I, I don't know where he gets that that sounds ridiculous that's <laughs> No, absolutely. I mean, I put a, a bunch of uh, little bits and pieces of two reviewers that I know and uh, some of my old friends from the punk rock days are in here, like John Chaplin. Uh, I think I used Jonas as a buddy of mine that's in there. Greg, who runs like the little it was a burrito. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. I don't know if I kept it as a burrito. You know, that's a funny thing, too. Yeah, with that. It, was a, it was. Yeah, it was a burrito. That's. No, he was such a great character, too. He had some, he was really fleshed out. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, so those are old punk rock buddies of mine. I put them in there, and they're pretty excited to check it out once, you know, once I get a hold of their copies. But um, I put in, yeah, I put in a few reviewers, like uh, Zachary Walters is in here, too, um, somewhere. I can't remember. It's so funny because I wrote the book. As soon as I've written it, you know, as soon as I get done writing a book, I jump on to whatever the next project is. So it's like, uh, like I'd have to go back and reread to see who's who's actually in there now. I mean, I sprinkle these things 
throughout and I'm already moving them 10 miles away by the time this <laughs> this promotional stuff starts happening and we're asking about this specific piece in the book I got to stop and think <laughs> <laughs> well that I think that that makes sense from a process standpoint too though to just go ahead and be moving on to the next thing because otherwise you're just driving yourself crazy waiting oh yeah that's that was the first thing I did with Sam Hain was like I signed a contract and I was like the book wasn't going to be released for, I don't know, almost a year later. I'm like, I'm not going to sit I start writing the next one right now. And then the one after that, I mean, you have to, like you said, you'll go nuts if you, if you just sit there and wait. But uh, not everyone can work like that, I guess. I know I know there's some writers that, that take a long time to perfect things. Uh, I've never been like that just with any creative thing. I like to just go after it finish it get it out there i mean sometimes though i start i start uh, too many projects i get too many ideas at the same time and some of them get shoved aside like the i've got a um sequel to blood and rain that i've been working on for about i don't know three years now that's just been i wrote like almost half of the book i got to what i think might be the halfway point and then i had to finish this project so i had to finish i had you know uh deadlines to meet blood and rain uh, the sequel is not on not commissioned to anybody it's not sold to anybody it's not contracted anywhere so it's kind of like just this project that i'm working on but if i get you know if i sell a story or i sell a book uh, or whatever or i promise something to somebody i've got to get all that stuff done and unfortunately for so, a bunch of my stories and especially the sequel to blood and rain it just keeps getting knocked back but there's probably a reason for it there's probably something that's not right about it that i'm going to notice next time i get back in there and i'm going to fix it so it turns out awesome, hopefully. I I like that way of looking at it. I think that's. It's got to be something because it, what I've got, I really like what I have, but it's just like something's keeping me. It's holding that one back right now. So, and right now it was until summer comes around, and now I'm jumping into my next uh, flame tree book, uh, which is going to come out next summer, which is going to be called August Eyes. So. August uh, eyes. Can you tell us anything about that, or is it all still pretty under wraps? Uh, I can. It's uh, it's going to be a pretty different book for me. Um, it's going to have kind of this dream world going on in a reality, and this uh, whenever this my main character goes into this dream, uh, he runs into this place uh, where these couple of kids that are kind of like half skeleton, spooky. There's lots of graveyards in this dream, and everything seems real, but and uh, eventually he starts seeing these kids or one of these kids in particular is thinking he's seeing him in real life here and there. Um, so I've never dealt with that, you know, dealing with reality versus the dream or something like that, you know, mixing that in um, in a book. So this it's, it's going to be a good challenge, I think, for me. And this one, it's going to have to do with a, there's a serial killer involved in it as well. So. This is really my first time, I think, digging into that world, too. Uh, so I'm pretty excited because it's kind of new ground for me. But um, yeah, no, that that sounds that sounds really cool. Um, I'm, ex- I'm excited for it. I've only I got like it, the beginning of it done right now. So. Well, <laughs> you have longer than six weeks at this point, at least you haven't. Yes, I do. I've got, I've got a few months. I've got uh, five months, I think now I was supposed to start it last month, but just had to finish up some other stuff so so oh sorry go ahead um oh sorry go ahead you had a follow-up and this is a totally different subject no no go ahead launch on 
Um, what are, can you describe? You described briefly a little bit your process when you talked about uh, segueing into an outline with uh, the most recent one. Sorry, my name draw my name. My brain draws a blank on names. Um, but what is your general adhered to writing process? Do you have like times of day, ways you approach, how you develop ideas, things of that nature? I really wish I did. It'd probably make things a lot easier. Uh, I've kind of grown up uh, in chaos, not like not super traumatic or anything, never anything horrible happened, but I always work really well when everything's going nuts, you know, right? So I, when I get up against the deadlines, I really, I really get going, you know, it's, it should be a stressful time, but for, I think, I think it's going to be stressful. Then I start because I just make myself sit down and say, I got to get it done by this date. I sit down and I'm just in my realm. I don't know. It's like everything flows, everything feels good and it shouldn't, it should really be a really stressful time, you know, but it seems to be the way I work. And I, I think if I was organized, I don't know, it, it probably would make things easier. But for some reason, I just I work well with all these. I've got multiple stories going. I've got multiple books going. I read the same way. I've always got multiple books going. I'm sure you guys probably do, too. Um, yeah. But but uh, writing wise, I mean, I, I love I used to be a night writer. But I with since this coronavirus has hit, I thought, oh, I'm home now. I don't have I'm not at work for been a couple of months now and i've barely written anything since i've been home i mean part of that is i've got three kids and all the homeschooling i'm doing a lot oh, of that my wife gosh, my wife's yeah. working my wife's working full time still but from home so during the day i'm tied up trying to get my and one of my, my son's seven so he's he's a handful of trying just trying to get him to sit down and focus at home on schoolwork it's just like his brain's like no i'm at home i don't need to do schoolwork this isn't right <laughs> but i mean we've managed we've managed we're at the finish line right now this that all ends this weekend like my girls i've got two daughters they both finished up today and me and my son are going to work uh we have like five more papers to do i think or four more papers to do which is a really pretty simple stuff so yeah Cool, cool. It's been a lot more taxing than I thought it would. You know, I thought I'd have we do the schoolwork during the day, they'd go to bed, but it's like summertime already. So it's like instead of going to bed at seven thirty every night, they're going to bed at eight thirty, nine o'clock. My oldest daughter's staying up till eleven o'clock. It's like <laughs> I can't. I need. I need quiet when I sit down to write. It's a lot easier right. to get in the zone if you if you can block everything out, and that's impossible when you've got three kids running around like crazy people. Yeah. So I for can't. me. I when, when I do have the time, during regular, whenever, under a regular schedule, I at least have, I can come home from work if I get out of work at 11. Say I work second shift at the hotel. I get home at 11. I can sit down and write for an hour and then maybe watch some Seinfeld and go to bed. But it's like, I don't even have that. Like, it's, everything's upside down right now, so. Yeah, yes. yeah. And I... I find it very interesting, though, and and actually heartening for me that to finally meet somebody else who thrives on a fucking deadline, because that's the only way I get it done. I mean, literally, all the Carpenter's Farm stuff was written the day before Josh's chapters came out. Um, mm -hmm. Every everything you see by me basically that comes out is either written right up against a self-imposed deadline or somebody else's deadline. And I'm 
on I'm at the top of my game at that point in time and prior to that I don't come close to it. Yeah, I, I definitely feel you there, man. <laughs> <laughs> it's crazy. So, Why do we do is. that? I have no idea. I did it in college too, man. Every paper I ever wrote was like two hours before the goddamn class started, so yeah. you know. <laughs> <laughs> You guys have learned to trust the process. Because yeah. Well, I do. I always think it's going to happen. It's going to work when I get there. It's going to just, just going to work. I know it is. See, I faith, like when I'm writing the book, if I get to a spot where I'm like, like not with the outline so much because I know where I'm going with that. But when I'm writing by the seat of my pants and I'm like, Jesus, what happens next is my favorite question. But if, if that doesn't work the first couple of times I ask myself, I'm like, hmm. That's when I usually will set what I'm working on aside, and I'll either write a blog post or or uh, a review maybe I hadn't done or even start a new idea. Just I like to get a chapter or two started when I get a new idea for a book or a novella or a short story. I like to get a little bit of it, a couple thousand words written, and then I'll set that aside so I have something to work on down the road. I'm never without something to work on. So I hope by you know, kind of shaking my brain up, going into this other world for a second – then when I come back, I do have faith, even going into the other, taking a break. I have faith that when I come back, it's going to happen. The story's going to lead me where it wants to go. Uh, so writer's block doesn't really happen to me just because I, I think I have too many different things going on. But I used to get blocked the all the time. I used to. But, but the thing is, Joe Lansdale said, you know, even if you think you're blocked, just sit down in your chair and just write anyway. You know, right. and yeah, you might not be writing the words you want to write, but you're writing words, and it does work. It does get you through it. Right, it flexes that muscle. It keeps you yeah. moving, and then, and you can always, if you're working on a project and you screw it up with the last two chapters you wrote because you just had to write something, you can always go back and just, all right, yeah. that's where I messed up, and I'll start from right there. Once once you get your groove back, you know. Yeah, yeah, and I don't understand it with fiction. I haven't haven't uh, published a completed work of fiction. You know, that's a mystery to me still. Um, but it always impresses me to see you guys manage to, because I've read some really rough betas that later turned around and came out and were just freaking perfect finished products. And it's like, how the hell did you get here from that piece of trash you sent me six months ago? <laughs> you know? <laughs> I think I think I think most of us uh most of us feel that way when we when we have that first draft going on. Um I sent somebody actually today I sent somebody they really wanted to see um, what I had so far with the sequel to Blood and Rain, and I haven't let anyone look at it. I think Aaron looked at the first couple of chapters a couple of year, a year or two ago, uh, but I sent somebody the the half the, the half of the novel. It's like you know almost forty thousand words uh, that I have, just because I thought you know what if I send it to somebody and they come back with something, they might spark this thing up again for me. You know what I mean? They might give me an idea that I didn't think of or. I might actually just dive back into this while I'm also working on this other book. I don't, I don't mind that. Cause I really want, I would like to see this book get finished at some point. Um, I have faith in you. You'll finish it. Um, <laughs> yep. Um, I think, uh, and I will, I will quit hogging Laurel, but the very first book I think I ever read by you was blood and rain. I'm pretty sure it was. It was also one of the, 
first three or four books I ever reviewed. Um, and so I was over the moon when I saw that you were going to, uh, you were working on a sequel to that. That's, you know, a book I'm highly invested in and highly anticipating. Nice. You know? And if you send me a review copy, I'll read it the day before I review it, I promise. <laughs> <laughs> no doubt. <laughs> no, man, I'm just hoping we get to that day. Yeah, we will. We will. I'm excited, and I've had a couple of different ideas. Like I said, I never set out to write a sequel originally, even though I did leave it open. Um, I didn't ever. I didn't know when I would ever get back there. And it, I had a dream a few years ago, and I woke up and I said, "Oh my God, I got to write that down." That's Joe Fisher. That's Joe Fisher's. I get. I have a scene for Joe Fisher, which means I have a starting point for the sequel. And I wrote a few chapters that morning when I got up. And then I set it aside for months. And then when I got back into it, uh, back when I didn't have anything else I was working on, I wrote a whole giant chunk of this thing. I really was rolling. And uh, then some other projects came up and derailed it. But I'm excited. I'm excited for what's there. I'm excited to see where it goes. And I'm excited to get it out to everybody. So hopefully in the next year or two, we'll, we'll get there. True or false? Um the horror industry is the healthiest it's been since 1980. Uh, well, I've only been in it for a few years, so I don't know. I think I think uh, it's it feels really good right now. Um, it feels really good in the in the indie world. I don't know. I know Mallerman's got big books, Tremblay, uh, you know, obviously King, but I still don't see a lot of big names on the big publishers, but indie wise, I mean, there's so many. So I, I would say, I would say yes overall, um, because I don't think the indie books are any less good than the major published books. I think they're probably, in my opinion, I like a lot of these guys better. Um, not, not, you know, I think a lot of these books I'm reading from all these indie authors should be, they deserve equal billing with, with the Mallermans and Tremblays, I think, and maybe it will happen. Maybe we are heading that way. Like you said, maybe if you're asking yeah. this question, you probably have a, you have a feeling like something's coming. Maybe. I do. I do. Um, we'll see. I'm, you know, I think yeah. obviously Jans is one of those guys that I would expect if there's going to be a, somebody jumping up to that, I, I would put him as, if I had to bet on somebody, I would bet on Jans next. I would, um, yeah, I would too. I'm surprised. Way. I'm surprised it hasn't happened yet with him. Um, and but it will. I agree with you. You know, uh, Taff is another one. I think most of the Sam Hain authors are headed that direction at at one point in time or another. Um, sorry, the Flame Tree authors. It's I'm old school. I think it's all you can mix and match. It's pretty much yeah. the same thing, right? So <laughs> it feels like uh, it a lot like it. It does uh, feel like it though. Even for us, we've joked about it. I know me and Brian were talking about it. We did a, a live thing with Flame Tree last week and. I think it aired this week, but um, we we talked about that feeling like it's like we're back in the saddle, we're back in the with our we're back in the stable with all our buds, um, and it feels like there's, there's something good happening, and hopefully we can all build on it together and do this thing right, and like the sky's the limit, I guess, you know. But I think it's very healthy. This indie this indie realm, all the authors, there's so many good authors. Like I'm trying to. I try to uh, re- try to get a review around the time 
somebody's book is coming out. Like, especially if I've got it early from a bud, like Matt, Matt Hayward's got his new book uh, coming out in a week or two. Uh, Tim Meyer's dead daughters. I was able to get that one up pretty, pretty quick, but there's so many, it's hard to, I want to do this for all my buds, get this book read and get this review up around either before, just before release or right after release. And it's the most difficult part, and it's a good thing, is that there's so many good books and great authors out there. Absolutely. Absolutely. It always feels horrible when someone says, hey, when are you going to review that book that came out a month ago? And I say, oh, probably a month after next. You know, But it's yeah. the reality of the situation is that if you're dedicated to reading and reviewing like we are, you've constantly got a stack, a stack threatening to break your desk in half. You know? Absolutely. But that's not a that's not a bad problem to have, and it brings me back to what you said just a few minutes ago about um, indie authors versus big five authors and how they stack up. Um, and I know even Mailerman agrees with you on that. I know that's I know this for a fact. We've talked about it um, that there are many, 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 many indie authors who deserve the same billings as the Tremblays and and the Mallermans and you know but they don't get that um that recognition that they really deserve but there are things happening that could change that too though when you start getting these things you know like indiebound and bookshop.org getting super super popular you know and they're started they're focused hyper focused on indies obviously um and you know both bookstores and authors so that gives me hope um I'm sure having getting an agent is is still probably the best avenue to have a shot at the big yeah um, yeah. And that's—I know uh, tons is. of us that are like me right now that we just kind of have been doing it ourselves for since we started, you know. So yeah. we feel comfortable. It's nice to be in control, but at the same time, you know, I don't know. I've—I've I've thought about agent, but I've been—I still, I personally, I don't know. I can't speak for any of the other indie authors. I feel like I've still got a long, a lot of work to do to get where I want to be. And when I, I know yeah. if I get where I want to be, then I, then I will have, then I would go get an agent. Yeah. Then I would bring that book to whoever, but I'm still feel like, like I said, I did music most of my, most of my adult life. I played, played in bands. I started writing in 2011. So now it's, it'll be, yeah, we're going up eight, nine years now. Um, but, but it feels like I'm, I still feel like I'm behind the ball. So I think that might be also why, what pushes me to work so yeah. hard. I'm doing so many projects as I'm trying to, I feel like I'm playing catch up this whole time and yeah. I haven't got where I want to be yet. Um, uh, as a writer, as, as a published author, my only goal when I finished that first book was to, uh, sell a book to Don Doria. <laughs> and I, I did pretty pretty early on. You know, it took me three years, I think, from three years from the completion of that book before I actually signed something with him. But then we signed a bunch of stuff, and to get to work with him again was also a goal. And I don't really have any other goals. I mean, eventually, when I think I've written a book that I think deserves a giant audience, maybe I'll go that route. But right now, I feel very comfortable 
where I'm at and working with the people that I'm working with, writing the types of books that I'm writing, uh, I'm always trying to get better. So, I mean, that's not going to stop. And once once I get to this point in my brain, um, maybe I'll push and make a new higher goal. But right now I just I have a bunch of books I want to finish writing. So, well, that's good news. That's really good news. Um, and I mean, I agree with you. You need an agent to break into the big fives, but you need the right one. Because you can yep. get the wrong one, too. You get the wrong agent, and you're headed directly for the for the love markets, you know, and nobody wants to go there. So, um, yeah. but, but uh, yeah, you'll get there. I think I think you'd probably be all right submitting your work to agents now. Agents make you better, like editors make you better, if well, good the ones other, do. That's the other thing with an agent. I mean, you've got to – I have this really hard time with, like, I'm going to write this book – and then I'm going to shop it to somebody. I mean, that's how it starts. But I haven't done that since the first book. You know what I mean? I I, I feel like I've been self-publishing books since Sam Hain went down, too. I mean, I did one with Sinister Press, but I feel like something about it. I can't I, – the idea of writing – taking the time to write a whole book and then sitting with it and then try to send that to an agent to have them try to send it to a publisher – I'm just so impatient too with with, with stuff. I'm I, I'm very I, feel, I need to be doing something that I can see happen right off. I mean, I probably don't have the patience to or the stamina to to wait for the big five type of thing. Maybe I, I I don't know if I have the talent. Maybe I do. Maybe I don't. But it's like I don't even I don't have the patience right now to even try it. So that is that's definitely one of the things with it that you know if you're direct marketing your your books to you know to the, any publishers like you do have a lot more control and you don't have to be as patient it's <laughs> that is just one of the hardest things it is so hard to you know to just have that on somebody else's timeline so yeah i don't know i just i just i really I, i've enjoyed working with the indie markets and especially like right now seeing some i mean you know the big the big five are awesome it's great to get that kind of uh, backing behind your books, you know, it's Absolutely. great to get that kind of billing and, and it's very cool. Um, but it's also one of the things that I've noticed talking to some folks who, who have been with bigger publishers is kind of the trauma of like bad sales histories that have nothing to do with your book, you know, because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. if you're, you know, if you've got a, a, a book coming out from one of them and it's your first book and it's the coronavirus and you get no yeah. sales, you know, you may oh, never sell God. again. Oh my yeah. God! Right, right. Yeah. That's like, uh, that that'd be yeah. That's like what I went through. I was worried about that. Just, but I'm on the level where I know I'm in direct contact with everybody that's involved with Flame Tree, pretty much. Not all of them, but with a good number of them, I feel very comfortable that we all know what's going on. I and I know that it's way different when you're dealing with the big, the big, big, big companies. So. Uh, yeah, that would have been terrifying right now to put a, to drop a book in the last month or two. Oof. Yeah, because I guess part of it is the money that they invest in you, you know, because I guess if, you know, if, if you're not getting an advance, then they're, they're not as worried, you know, if, if something happens. So I guess that's part of it. I don't know. It's just always a little bit. Uh, I think we talked to Alma Katsu about that. You know, she was talking about that one, I think her second book in her trilogy that she had with one of the big houses, like something happened. It was a, some kind of a strike or something happened where basically they weren't printing books for like six months. Um, 
And when it happened, she told her publishers like, hey, you're going to remember this. And they're like, yeah. And then it came time for the third book. And they're like, no, I'm just kidding. You know, and it's just you have no control over something like that. It's cutthroat once you get up to that level. You know, you're lucky if you can get up there and hopefully you have a hit and you you're able to keep keep them coming. But, man, yeah, it's it, maybe that's I don't know. That's, that sounds scary to me. I <laughs> Yeah, so I'm, I'm being a big downer, but it's I guess it's more just no, that. but it's true. I mean, you hear those stories, especially if you're in the business. You know, you hear those stories all the time. Yeah, and it's I mean, it's I guess it's just something that I'm I, I really just didn't know much about the indie markets. Um, Shane and Rush have been hearing me say this for like a year now, but it's like I just did not know that there was this much horror. I, I had no idea. I was like, you know, sadly pacing around bookstores waiting for. Oh, yeah, you know, see, the, that's your problem. <laughs> You you don't you wouldn't find it in the bookstore exactly. It disappeared. <laughs> what? How long ago? Like when Dorchester went down, it kind of disappeared from from the bookstores. They stopped having the horror sections and everything else. So, or, or border was it board? What is that? Borders? They used to have a great horror section. Um, but yeah, borders all closed, and Barnes and Noble got rid of their horror section. So it's like. You even if it was still there, you would still only find King and Rice and then a few others. Um, it, being in the bookstore is like it would definitely be hard to find. And I think I heard from my buddy Chris though that Barnes and Noble is bringing the horror section back. I have noticed that. Um, I don't know if that's everywhere. I know he said in his store that he's a he's one of the managers or something. They're bringing it back, and he's he's awesome because he's a fan of all the he's all the Sam Hain and Flame Tree guys. So he's gonna be like, it's gonna be good for us for him having it in his door. So, oh, that's awesome. It'll well, be cool if it's widespread and they all do with that. Yeah, and and especially I know some I think some of the issues, um, at what well, like my my local bookstore did not stock mine, but I think I I know part of it is a price point issue too. I guess, because where indie publishers don't always have the buying power, but it seems like flame tree really is just in a good position for that. I just always feel like the marketing is really good for flame tree and, and they put out a really good product. Yeah, definitely. Got high hopes for flame tree. I know, I know things went crazy with Sam Hain, but that was a, Sam Hain was like a romance novel company that decided they want to start a horror line. They, their great idea was bringing in Dawn, but, Don also was an experienced guy who deserved to get paid like an experienced guy. And at the end of the day, they didn't have, especially at the end of the day, where towards yeah. the end, they just couldn't couldn't afford everything. Um, they made some bad choices and uh, it didn't didn't work out for them. They tried to because uh, I was involved a little bit with some of the, I got talking to the marketing people and stuff, and they were really trying to figure out how to market horror they were really good at marketing romance and they thought they could easily do horror too and they brought in the good guy to bring it bring in authors they brought in good writers good books but they just didn't know how to there's a totally different uh a group of people to market to and they didn't they didn't quite get it in time you know i don't know if they would have if they had more time but they just made some bad choices money-wise that they thought they could survive, and, and they didn't, unfortunately. Yeah, um, and they, they kind of approached it exactly the same way they approached marketing romance, and that was just a really poor choice. It was just what they knew. Right, right. And, I, you know, that's that's the main part of that, I think, that happened to them. 
unfortunately. But Don definitely landed in a good place, and I've got got high hopes for the way Flame Tree. Everyone I've dealt with has been amazing there. So, and no knock on the people that I dealt with at, at Sam Haney. They were super nice people, every one of them. And they bent over backwards for me um, with my books and the things I did for them. So I've, I'm grateful for, for them and their what they did do. Um, just unfortunately, we just didn't – we weren't all – uh, able to get the plan together just right so yeah yeah i despaired of ever seeing don again after a while because it took so long before at least to me because i was so impatient to see him and back in the game that it just felt like we were never going to see him again and i was worried that he may have just went yeah after that bad experience fuck it you know yeah. just, and he almost popped up uh but something didn't happen something didn't go through um, cause I've been, I've been friends with, I stayed in touch with Don the whole time, um, that that was going on. And I knew another company that was, that was very interested in getting him. It, it didn't happen, which is probably for the best anyways. Like I said, cause he, he's an, he's an experienced editor. So if any, any of the smaller companies would have tried to take him on, he, he either would have got screwed or it would have come back to bite them in the ass. In the end, yeah. so I think it worked out for the best. But he definitely tried. He was definitely working and looking for the right uh, place to land. And I think he, I hope he did. I think he did. So I think he did too. Um, those people, the Flint Pre people, are really good people. They're really professional people. Um, for a bigger company, they're really on the level. You know, they treat people good, and that's important to their writers. Is that the readers think, ah, oh, this company is awesome. You know, absolutely. So. So good for good for you and good for Don and shout out to Don for sticking with it and doing the good work that he does. Woo. Love Don. Me too. Don't know him, but I love him anyway. All the way from Leisure Forward. Well, he's he's a great dude. Uh, just uh, when I remember first meeting him, Ed, one of the first things he 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 talked to me about. We sat down, and had a drink, and he said, "Uh." I'm going to ask you, and I hope you'll answer me. He goes, uh, so what are your favorite, because this is early in the Sam Hain days for me. He he said, what are your favorite books that we've put out? And what are your, what are your couple that you maybe you didn't like the least favorite? And I didn't hold back. I told him uh, the ones that I loved. And then there were, I think I only mentioned two that I'd read that I didn't really care for. And I think just knowing that he asked that, I told him and this is complete honesty right from the get-go, open and honest, and that's how it's been ever since that. So anyone that's willing to do that and listen to you and not hold anything against you like that, thats I think that's awesome. And that's part of Don's magic, you know. So how was it that you met him? Was You said you sat down and had a drink with him. Was that at like a con or how did yeah, that come that, about? I think that was at the World Horror Con in Portland, in Oregon. Uh, which was the second one that I went to. Um, Would have been 2011, I, right? I think that was 2014. Oh, yeah, it would have been because the Grey Matter Press guys were in that one, too. Yeah, that's where I'm, That's where King, I get to see Don talk about uh, Brian King because he uh, introduced him, I think, for the Grandmaster Horror Award ah. that gave him. Um, but I had signed... I had signed Abrams Bridge already with Don at that point prior to that few months, a month or two prior to that. So we were working on Abrams Bridge and I had started Boomtown, which was my follow up to that one. Um, but he had mentioned 
because we'd always emailed back and forth and he'd mentioned we should sit down and, you know, chat and let's, you know, I want to know what, what do you have for ideas for books and, you know, this and that. Like Don's very much wants to know what your next novel is going to be. You know, he gets very excited by uh, the uh, what we have coming up. So and that's always been one of my favorite things about him, too, just like. He loves what you do. I mean, he loves this business. He loves these books. He loves these stories, you know. And for me to think that reading all those leisure books for, you know, the decade or whatever that I was really flying through them, to think that that guy read those stories and loved them and then read my story and felt the same way, you know, that's, that's all I ever have ever wanted as a writer. Once I once that happened, I feel good, you know. <laughs> I mean, sure, oh. I'd, love to, I'd love to sell a, a book and make it into a movie or something. That'd be cool. But as a writer, this was my goal. And this was my number one goal. And I've got there already. And I, I like it. I like where I'm at. I have a full-time job. My full-time job is at a front desk at a hotel. I got a family and I get to write books that I, I get to come up with these crazy stories. And there's people that want to read them and people that want to put them out for me. And that's, that's, I feel pretty good about all that. I don't blame you. I don't blame you. And like you say, and it what like you say, what a huge honor to have someone who published those leisure guys say, "Yeah, give me your book. I want your book too, and your next one too." You know, it's like, wow, that would just blow my mind. I might just, you know, drop dead right there, but happy about it when I did it. Absolutely, you know? <laughs> absolutely, man. I mean, I honestly said when I finished, when I wrote the end on the first draft of Blood and Rain, I thought, wow, what if I could get this to dawn you know i think at the time i think i don't remember i think i think he was in between the in in between the companies but i said he i figured he'd probably land somebody somewhere and i said what if i could get i thought the story itself felt like a leisure book to me because that's what i've been reading so i mean my brain was set up that way and i i've only ever written what i want to read anyways i write the kinds of stories that i like to read so i thought I have a shot in my brain as crazy as it might have been at that moment, having never even talked to anybody in the publishing business at all at that time. I think he might like this. If I can clean it up, if I can find a way to clean it up and make it look like a real book, he might like it. Oh, man. That first version, I mean, like I said, I dropped out from high school. Grammar and all that was all lost on me. Punctuation is probably commas everywhere or not anywhere. That book, that original manuscript was a complete train wreck, but the story was there and the characters were there. So I had faith in that, and I just busted my ass for those couple of years, two or three years, learning how to write. Um, and then I finally got a chance to go back and fix that book. So it's just crazy. It's been a crazy ride. It sounds like it. Um, I mean, you probably handled it a lot better than I did Um it's you don't look like you're probably in therapy all that much, so <laughs> therapy, is, therapy is scary, man, but it's it can be good, I guess, but it's scary. I took I went to therapy for about three weeks and I found out so much about myself that Yeah. I haven't gone anywhere near the place since and uh really had to <laughs> I had to reassess a ton of stuff, but Wow, uh, three weeks. I can't yeah. imagine doing a year of it. Oh, Jesus. Um, I couldn't fly without it. I've been in therapy for five years. so. <laughs> I, that's no, that's nice. good, man. If, if you need it and it helps, yeah. by all means. I, and I talked to Hunter Shea about, like, we talked about, because I've got some 
anxiety issues and getting on. Once this coronavirus thing hit, I went back to my doctor and I said, I need to get back on uh, sertraline because yeah. <laughs> I am already feeling panicky. I'm feeling like I could have a panic attack at any moment. Just like all the stuff was coming down uh, every day. There was more worse news. And uh, I got right back on this medicine that I hadn't been on in a year, year and a half. I'd taken myself off it because I felt pretty good. Uh, but as soon as this coronavirus stuff really got serious on our side of the pond, I just was, uh, I felt it coming and I tried to jump ahead of it. And I've got no shame about it. And I don't think anyone should. Yeah. If, you need, if you think you need therapy, a therapist, if you think you need, uh, you know, any kind of anxiety medicine or anything like yeah. that, go for it. Don't be, there's no shame in it. Go for it. Help yourself. Um, Take care of yourself. I agree 100%, you know, and the same thing, like I ended up with, with this stuff with, uh, sertraline Xanax, sometimes at a van cocktail that I take regularly to, you know, keep from freaking out during this stuff. Um, but it makes me think about, um, being a writer and being an active writer who's staying that way, um, during all the strife and bullshit that's going on right now, you know? Um, and what are the, you know, what are the challenges? What are the releases? Are the, you know, is it an escape or is it a slu uh, you know, a trudge or how, well, how is that working for you? Well, like I said, for me, it's, I'm, I've been surprised at how, how hard it has been for me to sit down and write during this. I thought it would be a lot better, a lot easier. I've written, I've completed one short story. I've started about three other ones. Um, I've pecked away at a few of the books that I'm working on. Um, but uh, it's only been the last, actually, two or three days I've sat down and made myself, I said, I'm just going to sit down. You know, I find a, uh, my, ki my kids are occupied doing something. They're either on a homework project or uh, my little guy's on his Kindle. I know I've got like this window. And I've just made myself sit down. I said, even if it's for 20 minutes, I'm going to sit down. I'm just going to write for that entire 20 minutes. I'm just going to type. And I've been, I've just, it, it's, it feels good to know that once I start typing and I, my mind starts opening those doors, they, they still open. You know what I mean? So I know it's all there. It's just a matter of finding, making space for it. Uh, I'm used to having a couple of spots where I can pick and choose where I want to write throughout a day uh, and this whole thing has set everything crooked for me um, but it still feels good when I get in there if I get that quiet even half an hour 20 minutes it feels really it, it is really relaxing I feel great when I come out of writing you know even if it's only like part of a scene or something uh, it does feel good but for me it's been a lot harder I know I know a guy like um, me and Brian Moreland talked about this in our Facebook uh, live thing with Flame Tree. He's the exact opposite right now. I mean, I mean, he feels good, but he's like he's got all that time. He's got he doesn't have any kids, so he just dives right. He's got all day to write, and he's been living in the writing world the whole time. Um, so I mean, for it depends on your situation out in the real world right now. You know what I mean? If you're if you've got kids, we've all had to deal with this homeschooling stuff. It's been a lot, especially younger kids. I mean, if you've got teenagers, my oldest is 13. She's been a lot better. We still have to keep on her and check on her, but she's, you know, she's old enough to be able to figure out what she's supposed to do through these uh, 
online things that they're doing. My 10-year-old and my 7-year-old are going to sit down, me and my wife, me or my wife or me and my wife are going to sit down with each of them and walk them through it. Stick with them because they need a lot of help. You know, They're not supposed to be being able to do this stuff on their own, so you've got to be right on top of them. It takes a lot of time. takes a lot of patience. My patience has been tried a lot in the last few months, and I could, I know that I could never be a teacher for uh, little kids. I, <laughs> I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. I love them. I love my monkeys, but it's like, wow, how does Mrs. Bannister do this every day? <laughs> With a whole room full of them. Yeah. He's not the only one, you know? He's, it's like, once it's the thing that gets me is he's, my kid is so much like he just doesn't want to do it, you know? I guess he's, I hope he's not like me, but it's like once he gets in there and he starts working, the, the guy knocks it out in two seconds. It's like, that sounds like us, right? Does that sound like me and you, Shane? It's like, I'm not, I don't want to do the work. Don't want to do the work. I'm going to wait. I'm going to wait. I'm going to wait. No, 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 no. All right. It's time to do it. I have to do it. All right. And you do yeah. it in like five minutes. It's done. 10 minutes, half an hour, 20 minutes. Done stuff that you could have got this done two hours ago. Yeah. <laughs> You know, and you had the whole day to do whatever you want. And it's just like my hair has turned more gray every day. <laughs> that's that's my wife's dinner experience every night. Oh, yeah, my just a minute. Yeah, just a minute. <laughs> <laughs> uh. When this whole thing started, like, and we all started working from home, my job sent out this whole, like, and, they, you know, they've been really great. But, like, I've got a two-year-old, and they sent this whole, like, Here's all the tips for making sure everyone stays on schedule. Make sure you keep at your desk, you know, and I'm like, none of this works on a two year old. None of it. And and at the like very recently, they (laughs) sent out like a like a survey and it was like, okay, well, everybody tell us your tips and how it's been working. And I didn't because I was like, I don't want to cuss that much in a work email. That's just rude. Um, But apparently everyone else that responded just went ahead and did. Like everyone's response was like, I'm fucking not, I'm not keeping it together. This is hell. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> just like, Oh good. Okay. So this is not just me. This is all insanity. So. I'm, it has been a trip, man. This has been crazy. I'm uh, on the other this- hand though, being home with your family this whole time has been fantastic. I mean, my wife was telling me she's like, uh, some stuff that she reports that she'd been reading about, you know, they are, they were expecting, this was a couple months ago, they were expecting divorce rates are going to skyrocket after this because these husbands and wives that are not forced to be together all day, they get their time away, which a lot of us need, you know, y'all need your own space and there's going to be all these divorces. And I'm like, me and my wife have both been like, we, the way we work with our three kids and the oldest has field hockey, the middle one has dance. My little guy was doing Cub Scouts for a while and we're all we're both working. Our schedules sometimes match up, sometimes they alternate. So it's like for me and my wife, this is the most we've been in the same house together for the last, I don't know, four, five, six, seven years, whatever it's been like. And we've enjoyed it, you know. What's well, second shift? You said you work second shift. That's hard. I work, I work all shifts. I mean, I, 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 pro- I work two first shifts every week and two two or three second shifts and once in a while i'll fill in on the night audit at the hotel which i, I used to do the night audit i do three regular shifts and then the, i'd work the weekend night audit i did that for five years uh, when we opened and i had to finally get done doing that because it was too much i'd done night audit for too long 
And uh, I'll still fill in here and there because I know how to run it. But and even when we open back up, that's part of the thing. Like hours are going to be limited. We're, we're supposed to hopefully be opening up in the next couple of weeks just to local uh, main main residents. I mean, so uh, I could end up my schedules all over the place. You now, my bosses have been really good. My wife makes more money than me, so we, we make her the priority, and they work really well with me and my wife on the schedules. I have, I've got a really great relationship with my bosses, so it's like, um, you know, being able to get the kids off the bus or on the bus, uh, coming in an hour late if I have to, setting that up, getting coverage. I, they're really good at all that stuff, but my schedule, like I said, couple of first shifts, couple second shifts, you know, sometimes I have to work on the weekend so that. And that's when my wife has the weekends off. So it's like finding time for each other has been has been a chore in itself over the last bunch of years, uh, making the kids and work priority, you know. But this has been a really cool little break on that end where we've been actually been seeing each other every day a lot. So and we, I like it. I hope she likes it, too. I don't know. She, she might be ready for me to go back to work. I don't know. <laughs> I know you my probably... wife liked it. My wife and I liked it. Um, <laughs> I'm not so sure how that's going now, but <laughs> right. on too long, huh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can't even imagine what this would have been like if if um, if I had been working through the whole thing. How we would have managed that with my wife. My wife had to work from home. And the kids aren't at school. I don't understand how these families of the people that still had to work and then still had to get their kids somewhere. You know, they weren't at school anymore, which is a big thing for working parents. Uh, kids being at school during the day, you know, you don't have to have daycare coverage for them. Uh, yeah. I can't even imagine what it would have been like if my work, because we tried to stay open for as long as we could. And then finally our big bosses came down and said, no, no, we got to stop this. I mean, it was a, I can't imagine what it would have been like have worked it would have been i mean my mother lives pretty close by so we probably would have we would have been able to lean on her but i know that's not the same situation for all these families you know some people aren't as fortunate it would have been it's, it probably was there has been or is wild for some of these families yeah yeah i know it has been for for laurels i know because she's kind of got until uh until noon most days here i am telling her story because i'm so qualified <laughs> um you, you see my direct messages all day yeah. but, <laughs> <laughs> but uh her kid her kid keeps her busy 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 he's a busy guy so you know more that that's why i say on twitter all the time that um parents and teachers are the true heroes right now in this whole situation so we're and also the why. heaviest drinkers, is my guess. Goddamn right. <laughs> oh my lord. Oh my god, you guys. You don't even know. I just, I just this last week decided I was taking two months off from drinking because I have, I've gained weight during this. From I thought if I switched to Miller Lights instead of IPAs, I'd be all right. But the problem was I was drinking twice as many Miller Lights. You know. And most of those I would drink because I, I don't like to drink in front of my kids. I don't mind having a beer here or there, but I wait. They go to I drink one beer, they go to bed, and that's when I drink a bunch more. You know what I mean? And it's like, yep, go to bed happy. But then I I woke up the other day and I'm looking at myself in the mirror and I'm like, what in the hell is this? Yep. <laughs> I've never seen my body look like this before. And I said, no, 
if I go down this road, there might be no coming back. I got to stop now. Yeah, I went through that phase, too, where I looked down one day and realized that I looked like an inverted apricot with legs or fig oh. with legs, rather, <laughs> you know? <laughs> oh, it's crazy, man. Yeah. And it happened so quick. It's but like, it totally, yeah. it was totally, every night was like, I need to relax. I'm going to have some beers and I'm just going to chill out. And I mean... Normally, I, I, and I also, you know, that might have a hand in me not writing at nighttime as much. I, but with how heavy all this stuff has been, yeah. you know what I mean? And you're battling, like, like battling anxiety on, on top of all this stuff. And it's like, I just would sit down, have drinks, and watch movies. And yeah. that was the way I was relaxing at night. And um, I'm trying something different now. And I've been actually, it's been, this is the fourth day, I think. So, I thought, oh my god, I'm gonna, I'm gonna like crave my beer, and I really haven't yet. It's only been four days, but uh, yeah, I'm just water, tea, coffee yeah. in the morning. It's working out right now, and it's just, I think it's what I needed. So you kind of, your body kind of tells you what you need, and if you're willing to it listen does. to it. Uh, yeah, my body told me to quit for a long time, so I did. But you know, two days was a long time to me anyway. <laughs> um. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I do, I do it too. I beat, I beat up on myself so much about this, but it's also like, you know, a week into my son being home from daycare too, I sprained my ankle and I, I couldn't even really hardly walk. And I've only recently, I'm big on working out. Um, I do insanity max 30, like twice a week. And that's how I stay in shape. And I haven't even been able to walk. And, you know, I've, I've been doing the same thing as you. I drink at night to relax and to just like, cause I feel like, you know, the day is hell. I mean, it's not hell. You know, I love being with my kid, but it is very exhausting. It's exhausting. Yeah. And sure. so, you know, and, the, and we're all beaten up on ourselves because in the middle of like the apocalypse, we put on some weight. How yeah. horrible of us. You know? yeah. <laughs> yeah. Damn you, magazines, America. How dare you? Exactly. <laughs> um, yeah, it's bound to happen. You know, you can either comfort drink or comfort eat, but something's going to happen during this right now. I'm going to try to comfort. Did I lose? Uh oh. Are you there, Laurel? I'm here. Okay, cool. You back? We lost you. Who? Oh, who's what? We we lost you for a minute there. You froze. Am I back? Yeah. Oh, thank goodness. Yeah. I was scared then. Oh, I me went too. into the black and I didn't know what was happening. <laughs> <laughs> Something was coming for me. I swear it. George. <laughs> it was George. Yes, we have a companion. Um, we got a we got a guy named Kevin that pushes people around over here. So <laughs> <laughs> not really. My son would always slip on the floor, and we'd say, "Oh, that ghost!" Yeah. Kevin pushed him. Kevin. So we'd yep. about it all the time. <laughs> I like that the ghost's name is Kevin. That's very specific. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Which yeah. Well, who's George? Um, George is a. We don't know, George. Every now and then we'll be doing our sound check, and we, I don't think it's happened since Laurel joined us, which means Rich and I were probably high on something. But uh, every now and then we used to hear weird stuff in our sound checks, you know. And sometimes we'd hear it, but it wouldn't be on the recording. And sometimes it'd be on the recording, but we wouldn't hear it. So we named it George. Yeah. Yeah. Could have been aliens. Could have been aliens. Yeah, I think it might have been. I think it might have been Laurel who named it George. 
I thought you were going to say you thought it was me who was like creeping around in your sound checks, and that's you know. Well, that's a that's a possibility. I was going to say I thought I hid my steps so well. That's that it didn't start until about ten minutes ago, which Skype tells or ten months ago, which Skype tells me is when I first started talking to you. So. Ah. <laughs> anyway, um, do you uh, anything else you want to announce, Glenn, or tell people about? Um, follow up on uh, before we let you get back to your life and uh, continue on your way to uh, nowhere. <laughs> to nowhere. Um, but home. <laughs> right. Well, I've got this great new book out called Until Summer Comes Around. So if anyone wants to go grab it, you can grab it. It's available everywhere. You can buy books online. It was pretty cool. Like Flame Tree, you see those books on like you can go to Target.com and find it. So that's it's just interesting. It's weird. It's like, you know, shop at Target all the time. It'd be cool to see the book in the store, but whatever. It's on their website. You can get it. So that's cool, too. Yeah. Um, yeah. So if you like coming of age stories, this is definitely a coming of age story which are some of my favorite types of horror stories. Um, this one's a little different. I don't know how many there are. There's probably plenty of them, but I just haven't read them yet. Uh, coming of age, vampire mix, uh, 80s. I love the 80s. It's pretty popular right now. I mean, it just happens. To, I just happen to finally write one while it's probably at the tail end of its popularity. But um, if you like the 80s, you like Lost Boys, like you said, like, like uh, she was Laurel was saying earlier, like it's got that vibe to it. There's, a, there's the magic floating around in there of that of that movie, but it's totally different uh, story. Um, so I like I said, I'm really proud of that book. So I'm hoping sales have been good from what I've seen. Um, I'm very pleased and very happy with, with the reviews. It's been getting really good reviews. Um, other than that, I'm working on my next book for Flame Tree, which will be August Eyes, which will be out next summer. Uh, hopefully, there'll be no end of the world business. Hopefully, we'll have Joe Biden as president. Um, let's see. Uh, <laughs> I'm liking your future you're predicting here. Yeah. I'm hoping this future is right. Um, yeah. The new the new Guns N' Roses album will be out finally. Um, I'm hoping all this happens. So, uh, no, I'm working on that book. I've got another book that I'm working on that Rich will be excited about. Is the uh, I've got a sequel to Boomtown. I've got the, a novel, full novel sequel uh, called the Ascension Agenda, which um, hopefully will be out at the end of this year um, through. I don't know if we can announce it yet because we haven't really. It's kind of been a loose deal that me and the publisher have. Uh, it's a smaller publisher. Um, but I'm hoping that'll, I'm going to finish that up this summer and we'll have that, um, out at the end of the year. That's going to be aliens, um, in, uh, in the, the story takes place in Wisconsin. So for me, that's my alternate. I've only done Maine and Wisconsin so far for stories, I think. So, um, that's about it. I mean, other than that, you go to, I put, I try to put up a monthly short story, uh, on my Patreon page. Um, which is www.patreon.com slash get Rolfed. So nice. people want to check that out, you can join for a buck. You can join for two bucks uh, or five bucks is the top tier. And those guys get uh, signed copies of my brand new books when I put them out. So uh, for $5 a month for the year, you get, you get a pretty good deal. And there's writing, I put writing advice and stuff on there too. Cool. Cool. That's, that's, uh, always excellent to have for readers especially since a lot of us are also writers yeah absolutely yeah, um, definitely. and you know you're the second person so your last name is rolf 
Yeah. Okay, so you're the second guy with a lot of hair that we've had in two weeks in a row whose fucking name I'm mispronouncing for years now. Because <laughs> <laughs> I've been calling you Rolf. I've been calling Adam Caesar Cesar. <laughs> yeah. Well, Brian Keene always calls him Cesare, right? And I think Adam, I think they heard <laughs> Yeah, I think Adam told – I think it was him or maybe it was Brian had said something. I don't know, even know if – I can't remember if this is true or if I've imagined it or dreamt it or drunk, drunk too many beers and thought of it. But I'm pretty sure at one point – I don't know if he wanted – Adam wanted to be called Cesare or not or what or if Brian's making that shit up and, and just saying that. I know I've heard Brian say that before. I'm never going to be able to unhear that now. It's right. Be Cesare from um, no kidding. I don't even think I've ever asked Adam that, but I heard that. I think it was Brian that said it. So Brian might have been fucking with everybody, though. So you never uh, know. You, you just ruined me. You ruined me, though, because the next time he comes on the show, I'm going to tell people we're talking to Adam Cesare. Yes, <laughs> it's it. going to be do your it. fault. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, um, Glenn Rolf, everybody, thank you for being here, Glenn. We're going to be talking to you again probably next summer by the sounds of things. Cool. Um, and and um, just to, to my shout out to all my 80s girls, you know who you are. Uh, you know you love you know you love Lost Lost Boys. Get this. You want this book. <laughs> okay, carry on. Sorry. There's no all right. Nope, that was that was perfect. Uh, that's it for me. That's it for Laurel, I guess, by that. Um, so have a good night, Glenn, and we'll talk yeah, to you soon. All right, Shane. All right, Laurel. Thanks, thanks guys, for having me. Have right. a great night. Peace. Be safe, man. All right, you too. <laughs> Is somebody going to hang the fucking thing? <laughs> <laughs>